Do you care about supporting small business? I do. Do you care about supporting women in business? Man, I really do. Do you care about excellent customer service? I think it's a dying art and I really, really support it. That's why I support Paco Collars. They hit all of these bases and then some. My dogs wear gorgeous handcrafted leather collars from them and I get to support a company that I really believe in. So if you believe in the same stuff I do, get over to PacoCollars.com, order the best dog collar you've ever had with a lifetime guarantee, and don't forget to enter the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You guys, Worked Up Camp is happening again, and this time it's out east. September 6th through the 8th, write it down, save the date, we'll get you the details very soon. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Here's a topic that comes up all the time. I've got about four emails about it in um, the CogDog Radio inbox, and I've had a bunch of friends bring it up lately. And so we're going to talk about um, hypersocial dogs. And we've got to define what that means, right? Because that's a label, a construct, and um, we got to know what we're talking about first. So in my mind, these are dogs that have kind of bigger than normal social responses. So they're usually dogs that, to me, look kind of desperate to say hi to people or other dogs, sometimes both, sometimes just one. Um, They're dogs that, you know, they are, they often look exactly like your kind of typical reactive dog because they are barking and lunging on the leash. Um, but usually starts out with just whining and maybe vertical jumping and just kind of big, over-the-top social behaviors. So if we think about, um, the first thing I want you to think about is kind of abnormal social responses as landing on a spectrum. And in the middle of this spectrum, we've got dogs that are neutral. And I'm not going to specify whether I'm talking about human-directed or dog-directed here, but I am going to just say that we are only talking about those two species. Um, interestingly enough, dogs are the only species on Earth that has specifically evolved to uh, live next to and rely on another species. Um, if you want you know, some more information on that, I really recommend Ray Coppinger's work Um, That's C-O-P-P-I-N-G-E-R is his last name. But so that that makes them really interesting just in and of itself. But so let's let's think about normal social reactions as being right in the middle. And let's define normal. I'm going to say that they're generally neutral. That the dog is fine to say hi and is also fine to not say hi. So they're fine to just move on or they're fine to have a quick sniff and then move on. Um, And if they you know, maybe if they really like the dog and everybody's off leash, they'll play bow. Or if they like the person, they'll lean up to them to get pet. But generally speaking, 
They can say hi or not. If you're passing on a trail, they'll look, maybe give a soft tail wag, maybe a tongue flick, just kind of a hey. Um, We're all friends here. And then move on. And understand that that's always my goal when I am raising a puppy. And genetics play an enormous role here. But as we know, um, behavior is always a combination of the environment and the dog's genetic package. It's always all of these things working together at once. So we don't get to blame genetics entirely or socialization practices entirely on any behaviors that happen that um, are undesirable. So a neutral social response is what I'm always after. And then in my head, we've got kind of the far, um, maybe maybe to the far left end of the spectrum, we've got these hyper-social dogs. doesn't really matter which end we put it on, but in my head, the hyper-social is over at the left end. And those are the dogs that are, you know, frantically pulling you towards the dog or the person. They're whining. They maybe have um, kind of overly appeasing gestures like they're crawling on their chest rolling over on their belly maybe they're urinating um that's usually to that's often to other dogs it might be to people as well and for some reason these dogs um it's not for some reason it has to do with kind of uh dog normal dog dog greeting behaviors but when it comes to a person they usually go vertical um and they usually because they're usually trying to get at the face so these are dog these are face punchers a lot of the time and gut punchers a lot of the time and it's just not pleasant um to interact with these dogs and i'm gonna argue it's not pleasant for them either but i'll get to that in a minute so that maybe that's the far Um, left end of the spectrum and then maybe over at the far right end of the spectrum we've got what we kind of usually label quote-unquote reactive so I'm going to say that that's aggressive so I'm going to say if if way over here on the left we've got you know coming unglued crawling on their belly urinating on themselves punching you in the face cannot believe that they possibly get to say hello and then maybe and then on the far right we've got like barking, snapping, snarling, lunging. Um, I will bite you if you get too close. So we've got this big spectrum of social behaviors, and we want the dog's social behaviors to fall somewhere close to that middle line. That is best for everybody involved. So, but that's not always what happens, right? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about. Um, maybe why our dogs fall too far left or too far right on this spectrum. Like I said, genetics certainly play a role. Um, you want to, if you are, if you are going to buy a puppy, um, you want to know as many of the puppy's relatives as you can so that you get a good idea of kind of what these dogs look like socially. That's, that's a good place to start. Most of you listening to the podcast though, you've already got a dog that falls maybe too far left or too far right. And so that ship has kind of sailed. Um, and like Hannah Brannigan says, it's smart to assume everything is genetic before you buy the puppy. And then it's smart to assume nothing is after you have the dog. So once the dog is in your hands, it's not a smart trainer move to say, oh, well, that's genetic. Um, I'm going to argue it's also not a smart trainer move to say, oh, he's like that because he's a rescue, right? Like these are excuses. All behavior can be modified. Okay. So... We don't actually know why a lot of this stuff happens, but a lot of people speculate that um, 
our socialization habits are a culprit. And I'm going to say that speculation is probably right. We don't actually have any hard data on this. So that's unfortunate. Um, But we have some anecdotal data and I'm just going to talk a little bit about what socialization habits we have, particularly, particularly in the United States that I think might be kind of problematic with some of in particular, some of the genetic packages that we're also producing um, in this country pretty consistently. If you teach pet dog training classes, you are very familiar with the hypersocial labradoodle, golden doodle, that type of animal, right? So we've got these dogs who are bred to be pet dogs, which for the record, I have no problem with. Um, it, you know, when it's done responsibly, it doesn't bother me at all. But I think a lot of times we're actually inadvertently breeding for these hypersocial behaviors because we're working so hard to never see any aggressive behaviors in the dog's history, um, meaning in the dog's bloodline. So if this dog's kind of a snarly snapper, we're not going to breed that dog if what we're producing here is pet dogs. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it could be why when we take these puppies who are produced to be very, very friendly um, and almost abnormally non-aggressive, we take that and then we put them into the socialization protocols that we have developed for dogs that maybe don't have that genetic package, we might get hypersocial. So hear me out on that. I am not ever saying that socialization is a bad thing. It's a good thing. We always want to be exposing our dogs to everything that they are going to need to tolerate and experience for the rest of their lives. It's also really good to think of socialization as an ongoing process, not as something that happens the first four weeks you have the puppy and then stops. But here's some socialization practices that we have in the United States that I think are problematic. Number one, lots of free puppy play in puppy kindergarten. Um, Excuse me, still struggling with laryngitis (laughs) a little bit over here. I, again... Not making a blanket statement against puppy play, but 10 puppies in a room bowling each other over and chest slamming is setting us up for those hypersocial behaviors. It's not setting us up for good, smart dog-dog interactions. And too many people are going to puppy, too many of your clients are coming to puppy kindergarten just so their puppy gets tired so they can have their one night a week where the puppy sleeps and they can have their glass of wine on the couch in peace, right? You guys know this. That's where I was when I was teaching these kinds of classes as well. These people valued that puppy play part so much. You almost couldn't withhold it from them because they needed the thing to be tired. Um, I'm going to get to why that's a problem in a minute, but... What we're doing is we're shoving a bunch of puppies in a room and saying, here, have the most fun you've had all week. Chest slamming each other and rolling each other around. Or hide under a chair because this is terrifying for you because that's your genetic package, right? And this is just not a good idea. Um, I'm a huge fan and it's I know it's not always easy to do um, safely, but I'm really lucky that I've got a great kind of circle of friends from the dog sport world with some nice puppy appropriate adults. Puppy appropriate adults are not a unicorn and they are what your puppy should be exposed to most of the time. Now, what's a puppy appropriate adult? Any adult dog that is not going to cause the puppy harm is appropriate to me, okay? So they do not have to be the perfect 
you know, loving motherly dog that everybody kind of thinks of when I'm talking about these dogs. They don't have to be like that. They just need to not hurt the puppy because the puppy should actually experience a wide range of social interactions with adult dogs. Um, I was just on a walk the other day with my friend and her six-month-old puppy, and we've gone on several walks with this puppy since she was like 12 weeks old. And from my dogs, she experienced play, uh, chase games as well as wrestle games, okay? So that's great, but that's usually all you get in puppy kindergarten. She also experienced a curled lip, an air snap, um, and being ignored, okay? So I'm going to call all three of those appropriate corrections to a puppy from an adult dog. So adult dogs are really good at teaching puppies not to exhibit hypersocial behaviors because if they're very savvy, they ignore them, which is what Iggy does. She's wonderful. Um, and if they're not super savvy, but they know they don't like that, but they're not going to hurt the puppy, I'm also fine with that curled lip and that air snap, okay? That was important for this puppy to learn just as much as that play wrestle and that chase game. Okay, puppy should never be screaming, peeing on itself, um, crying, trying to hide, trying to get away. The puppy should never think they're going to die. But they should for a second think, ooh, I don't want to cross you again, okay? I think these are all very normal experiences that puppies should have. People disagree with me on this. I want them to learn that this older dog is going to snap at you if you're being ridiculous. This older dog's going to ignore you if you're being ridiculous. Um, and then this this dog over here is young like you and is playful and you guys can learn how to have appropriate uh, play interactions. That's the kind of dog-dog socialization that I think is important and it is not the kind that we get. What we get instead is we shove a bunch of puppies in a sterile room with nothing to do other than play with each other and body slam each other. And then they age out of puppy kindergarten and we put them in dog daycare, which is exactly the same scenario, but with adult dogs. Um, or we take them to the dog park, which is, again, essentially the same scenario, but with adult dogs and maybe a little more dangerous because you don't have uh, trained supervisors. So let me be very clear. I am not saying that appropriately run dog daycares in puppy kindergarten um, are bad. I am saying a lot of them are not appropriately run. And I'm saying it shouldn't be the bulk of your dog's experiences with other dogs because it does encourage us more towards that hypersocial end of the spectrum. Because what happens, and I've hinted at this a few times, is the dog starts to learn that other dogs are the most fun thing in their life. And that's always dangerous. I caution my sport uh, clients against allowing their dogs to believe that agility is the most fun thing in their life. And why is it so important? Because you need a dog whose needs are so well met, so well served, that they don't feel desperate about any one thing. Okay? They start to feel desperate about getting two other dogs when their only experiences with other dogs are these, like, amazing play parties, like puppy kindergarten, like dog daycare, like the dog park. How many times have you guys gone to the dog park and you've seen 
um, a dog barking and screaming and dragging their owner into the dog park. Okay, it's like every time. I actually utilize dog parks um, for a lot of my clients work with their own dogs. They never go in the dog park under my instructions. They stay outside of it. But um, so I always see this in the background of their videos. I see dogs screaming and dragging their people to the park. I used to walk my dogs on a leash around a public park um, that had a big nice dog park in it. And I the, the parking lot interactions with that people had with their dogs were insane. Um, so many people just showed up and opened the back of the hatch and let the dog just run to the gate of the dog park because they just didn't want to deal with being dragged, which I don't really blame them for. But then what behaviors are we reinforcing here? We're reinforcing those, you know, barky, lungy, pulley behaviors. So of course that's what they're going to do when you're trying to walk them on a leash in your neighborhood and there's another dog um, about to walk past you. The behavior that has been consistently reinforced um, is that hypersocial response, that barky, lungy, ridiculous, over-the-top, oh my god, I'm so desperate to have my most fun thing response. And everything I'm saying, I know I'm talking a lot about dog-dog stuff here, but everything I'm saying here is true for people too. Um, if your puppy learns that they're outing where they get to see a whole bunch of people and those people are all fawning over them and they're jumping on the people and they're licking their face and the people are making squealy noises. If that's, you know, how your puppy's experiencing people, then you could be producing kind of the same thing. So we got to always return to the four steps to behavioral wellness. If the dog's nutrition, exercise, communication, and enrichment needs are not met, then you are again setting yourself up for these problems. So Try to make sure especially that those exercise and enrichment needs are met because, again, when they're not, the dog sees their insane play party with the dog, the other dogs or with your friends, um, your human friends, as the most fun thing in their life. And there, there's like a stark contrast for them. They've got their, you know, frowny FaceTimes where they're void of social interaction they don't get to do anything and that's eight hours a day and then they've got their smiley face exclamation point times where they get to go to the dog park and be insane right so having those stark contrasts in our dog's lives also sets them up for failure here in this hyper social um realm so and then we got to check our expectations on dogs and their social interactions as well like I said, that curled lip and that air snap isn't a problem for me. If nobody's bleeding and nobody thinks they're going to die, then it's all normal and it's all fine. So quit having the excuse of, you know, I didn't expose my puppy to any adult dogs because I just don't know any that are good enough with puppies. Well, that's like saying, you know, I kept my kid at home, um, you know, until she was 16 because I just don't know enough people who are not going to bully her, who are not going to be mean, who are, you know going to be always appropriate, never going to be a bad influence, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. That's not healthy. No one would argue that that's not healthy. But then we do that to our puppies. Um, and that's a problem. So these hypersocial behaviors go two directions, like I mentioned, towards dogs or towards people. And the way that we I just talked a lot about prevention and maybe how we set this up to be a problem. So let's talk about how we fix it. Okay, so for the next, you know, last bit of the podcast, I'm going to talk about how we fix it with dogs and how we fix it with humans, because I go a little bit different route, because you can 
uh, verbally control humans a little bit better than other people's dogs. Not always better, but <laughs> usually a little bit better. So let's talk about dogs first. Number one, um, on-leash greetings are typically a no-no for me. Um, I like my dogs to learn very early on that if a leash is attached to them, they're not going to have a social interaction with another dog. If you just draw that clear line in the sand um, from very early on, that will be helpful to you. If you're going, well, then how am I supposed to introduce my puppy to any dogs? You're going to go places where everybody can be off leash. And they're not as hard to find as you think they are. Or the dogs can drag long lines. That's basically off leash and that's okay. And I would just attach it to something different than what your dog normally walks on. So if you walk them on a harness, attach it to the collar. If you walk them on a front connection, attach it to the back connection, et cetera, et cetera. So I just say no to unleash greetings. It's just not a thing. Um, and then I produce a very high rate of reinforcement for paying attention to me if you're on a leash around any kind of social temptation. And that, you know, that includes people too, but we'll get there. So you see another dog that should be a cue to you to pay attention to me because that's when the chicken's going to get busted out. That's when I'm going to give you the really nice treats. Um, I did this with Felix, you guys. He had a tendency towards hypersocial behaviors towards dogs and people. Um, and I effectively taught him that paying attention to me when we see another dog is a smart thing to do. Um, and he was the kind of dog that you would have sent me the email that said, this is just never going to happen. I can't do it. Okay, so yes, you can. It just takes, like everything, carefully layered positive reinforcement. It just takes paying for the behaviors you actually want. So I have a high rate of reinforcement for attention on me when they see other dogs. And then I would only allow them smart off-leash interactions. Meaning if my dog is a hyper social bouncy barky lunger with other dogs I want them to have off-leash experiences but I want them to have not very many of those off-leash experiences that result in like crazy chest slamming running around play I want most of their off-leash experiences to be we're all just kind of sniffing around we're all you know we're in an interesting area and we're just sniffing around and if we go back to puppy kindergarten for a second if you teach puppy kindergarten you're listening to this Try in your next puppy social to put stuff in the environment that's interesting. Put snuffle mats with kibble out. Put puzzle toys out. Put brown paper out for the puppies to shred. Try to put stuff out that's actually interesting so that they're not only focused on each other and they're having kind of a mutual enjoyment of the environment activity rather than being obsessed with each other. And when they start to lose interest in the environment and start to go at each other, that's when we put leashes on and we start training. So, and then I actually train cues. I train go say hi and not now cues so that my dogs, again, this is all about clarity and that's that communication piece of the four steps to behavioral wellness. If you don't have good communication with your dog, then you can't expect them to be wonderful citizens of the earth because they have to live with us and in our world and it's not fair for us to ask them to do that if we can't communicate to them how to best do that. So I teach say hi versus not now. I'm not going to outline how to do that um, right now because if you're not even sure how to do that then I recommend you know get in some get in some online courses get you know learn learn some more basics of dog training. It's all about slapping a cue on a behavior that's already in existence, right? So let's bounce over to humans. First of all, 
If you got hypersocial grading behavior, like punching a person in the face, punching a person in the gut, et cetera, et cetera, stop rehearsing it. It's getting reinforced every single time it happens. Um, <clears throat> unless you've got, you know, if most of the people are totally ignoring your dog or body blocking your dog, then maybe it isn't. But most people don't. Most people pay attention to dogs like this. We're kind of trained to see a wiggly, cute dog that's excited to see us and be excited about that. So, you know, then we get punched in the face. Then we might not be pleased, but the dog already got the inter interaction. And if we're assuming that the interaction is feeding the behavior, which it often is with hypersocial dogs, um, we got to stop reinforcing it. So right here, right now, the dog doesn't get to, inter to interact with anybody like that anymore. Meaning, you have management in place. You have the dog on a leash if they're going to see other people. You really, really boost up that recall so your dog can, can recall to you if you see a person on the trail and your dog is off leash. And then train some humans to help you. Um, I like to do a nice back and forth. The person is approaching. The second you start to go vertical, you start to whine, etc. The person stops approaching or maybe backs away. And this whole time, uh, the person should be putting food on the ground. The handler of the dog should be putting food on the ground to just keep reinforcing four on the floor. If you train some humans to help you, you can get to a point where the dog goes, oh, gosh, it feels so much better if I just keep four on the floor and keep my cool. They will see how much better it feels. It will help them um, to calm down. And then any people who are untrained in this manner do not get to touch your dog. If you really want to fix this, you've got to stop reinforcing it. So the people who are not trained don't, don't get to touch your dog. And then if you're like me and you've got Felix and he has his friends who he is insane about, and you've basically fixed this behavior. Um, generally, I have. Like, he's, he's not, he does not dis display hypersocial behaviors to people or dogs that he does not know anymore. Um, but he still has a cue that means go, go insane in your friend's arms over there. He's got a couple of people I consistently do it with. The cue is attack. I say attack. He runs over. He leaps in their arms. He cries. He squeals. He licks their faces. He's ridiculous. Um, but then he's able to come back to me and be a normal dog and kind of calm himself down. And they both enjoy it. Um, and that's kind of the compromise. So then put it on cue when it's people that you know and trust and that the dog knows and trusts. Because this behavior is not safe with strangers. It's not safe... Um, on a, on a number of different levels. Your dog could hurt a stranger, and then you're in trouble. Uh, stranger could hurt your dog, and then stranger's in trouble. <laughs> um, but also, a lot of these hypersocial dogs, you guys, they start to just kind of tip over into, into aggressive behaviors. They, they really can. So that spectrum is almost more, more cyclical than a line. Okay, so over here, if you've got super far, super far left um, hypersocial behaviors, they bleed straight into the super far right at the bottom of the circle into aggressive behaviors. And I've seen it too often um, because they go, they are hypersocial out of person. The person does not respond the way that the dog expected. And then the dog bleeds into that aggressive behavior. It's dangerous. You want to avoid it. So um, put the overgreet on cue, only use it with your friends, and then stop letting your dog interact with people that you can't train to only reinforce calm greetings. Those are kind of some, you know, just bare bones basics, you guys, of how to deal with this. 
There's going to be a lot more in my upcoming Teenage Tyrants course. Uh, that's coming up in June in Fenzie Academy, and I will talk about that more when it comes closer to registration for that course. Um, but if you've got thoughts on this, definitely chime in on the Facebook page or shoot me an email. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.